It's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Welcome to the December Atoms. Sometimes squares just don't fit. He's doing it again. What a cryptic way to launch into what should be a gentle, easily digestible wind-down as the year draws to a close. Perhaps, though, not as night's move as it first appears. Let's go back a step or two. Without overgeneralizing school days, and I'm including university, are largely about facts. Not just the accumulation and retention of facts, but the nurturing of the fact-as-truth myth. Harsh, maybe, but thinking of the pre-Copernican view of the galaxy, while science opens doors, its bluntness, or at least lack of precision as a tool, is exposed in situations inherently insoluble from an empirical standpoint. There's an expression in Swedish, kanti, derived from feed, kanti, meaning four-sided or literally square or literal or inflexible or some sort of combination. The sorts of examples to which I'm referring are those where being kanti, an advantage in some instances, simply doesn't cut the mustard. Expand your thesis, you rightly demand, and I can think of no better way of doing so than referring to the poignant scenarios in this issue. They are very different but share a thread in that resolution was achieved in each by doing least harm to each of the, excuse the lapse into tautology, competing protagonists. Solutions to each situation of equipoise was unanswerable by standard randomised control trials, science even, but resolved by listening, discussion and weighing with scales uncalibrated in standard units. In short, the way forward depended on a collective human spirit. Extrapolating this theme, I've spent a sizable chunk of my life physically or involved from a distance and work in urban and peri-urban slums in Asia, Oceania and North Africa. For reasons I can't fully explain, I feel very alive, very happy and very at home here. These are settings in which there's a dearth of tangible solutions to many of the inherent problems, but in which somehow human spirit and resilience overrides the obstacles. A lesson to those of us who canti-esquely curse the five-minute delay in departure of the usual homebound evening train or equally trivial disruption to routine. Medical tourism. Well, we're all familiar with the scenario. A poor leukemic child with an encouraging initial response to standard chemo. The reappearance of blasts a year later. The subsequent bone marrow transplant. The, other than suppressant side effect, trouble-free hiatus, which uncannily marked by a family anniversary is abruptly bookended by the reappearance of the now all-too-familiar pallor and patiki. Palliation is discussed, but the parents cannot countenance not exploring curative options and alternative opinions are sought. This is often the stage at which medical tourism, the search for treatment unavailable in the NHS or state or provincial service, is pursued. Sometimes, and I'm leaving costs out of this discussion, though of course it is sometimes part of the equation, what's on offer appears attractive. Sometimes, and I suspect this applies to many cases, it is blatantly not. Apart from lack of licensing evidence, there are usually reasons for non-provision in mainstream services. Should, however, the family choose to explore this option, 
we can't completely absolve ourselves of the responsibility of helping them make a well-informed choice. This particular sea is full of sharks and a decision is made to explore alternative options. Charles Birchley and the RCPCH Ethics Group put the issue realistically one that's only going to expand into perspective. A couple of pieces on viability. Part 1. Rob Wheeler's excellent law and clinical practice series goes another step in this issue. The ethical tightropery doesn't end with medical tourism. So Rob's latest legal labyrinth poignantly recalls the still relevant, painfully debated issues around a pair of conjoined twins, of which one did not have the circulatory capacity to survive more than a few months, and the other, in the face of no intervention, bound to succumb immediately afterwards. I won't say any more, but strongly suggest you read this. In another piece on viability, John Lantos' wonderful editorial dissects the old arguments against care for sub-23-week gestation deliveries. In Sweden and Japan, this has been active for a long time, and a refreshing recent stance in the British Association of Perinatal Medicine guidance on the issue is a real sign of moving forward in the debate. Populations, of course, differ in response to interventions, but medical science has also moved forward. So that's all for now. I hope you can reflect on 2021 with some fondness. I'll see you all again very soon. Be sure to check out the website for the rest of the articles, adc.bmj.com. Thanks for today. Bye for now.